Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo and Vic Mazar here in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Lots to get into. Ian McIntyre is going to join us. Uh, you can get in touch with the program. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. I understand uh, Bick and Sat did not do overrated, underrated on Wednesday. Abbreviated show yesterday. It was an abbreviated show. As abbreviated as uh, Jose Barrios's uh, appearance yesterday. Oh, don't even get me started. So. Please. <laughs> Please don't get me started. Um, We'll get into that, actually, yeah. at some point during the course of the program. But... Um, we will do overrated, underrated today. The masses were tweeting at Dan Richo underscore. When is overrated, underrated? Is it happening on a Thursday? It is happening on a Thursday. So we'll get to that coming up after five o'clock. But wanted to get into the Vancouver Canucks coming off the 2-1 loss in Abbotsford last night. And it's another night where we got to see a lot of some of the bubble players some of those that didn't make the roster. Everybody who was called up yesterday has since been sent back down to the AHL with the Abbotsford Canucks. And I, I'm i not ready to make a judgment on whether or not this is a good or bad thing. But maybe we'll talk this out. True or false, the Canucks roster has shaped up to be exactly as we expected it to be you can answer that at the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox 650 650 we essentially know what the roster is going to be there's maybe going to be one cut on defense but we have a good idea of what the roster is going to be and outside of Cole McWard for me Bick there's not really any surprises when I was actually thinking about it with the Canucks roster? The total of the 13 forwards that we project to, to be there, the 8, 7, 8 D-men, yep. I, I look at it and say, okay, there's probably not a lot of surprises outside of McWard that you mentioned. I do think the the machination of them are maybe rather intriguing. Oh, I had Phil DiGiuseppe on the second line all, all summer long. You can go back and look at the tweets. It's true. It's true. To, uh, <laughs> I mean, I took some serious heat over yeah. um, positioning myself to see Phil DiGiuseppe continue on the second line with JT Miller and Brock Besser. I, I guess it's a, it's a matter of question of, to, to answer your true or false question, Yeah, I would say true for the players that made the team, false for how it's actually shaped up. Right. So... I think there's a lot of people wish casting the idea that Nils Hoaglander would win a second line role over your boy yep. PDG. Everyone's never boy, going to, to be honest, and it just it never materialized. So yeah, in theory, like hey, Nils Hoaglander right now looks like he's going to make the team. Yeah, certainly headed Dakota Joshua mm-hmm. right now, and, and not even just make the team, be in the opening night lineup. But is that what everyone wanted? It is. Like I think most people would have expected or wanted to see Nils Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin. So maybe that's the one other surprise that we've gotten here through training camp that Vasily Podkolzin is not on the roster and wasn't even 
considered to be a call-up for that game yesterday in Abbotsford. It's just, you know, when I look at Vasily Podkolzin, not only has he not made the roster, but I think it's to a point where he's not one of the first guys called up either. It's you're spending some time in the AHL and figuring your game out. That, to me, is a bit of a surprise when it comes to how this year or how this training camp has played out. But it's absolutely true that this has essentially shaped up to be exactly the roster we would have expected. Maybe, you know, there was a wonder whether or not Ilya Mikheyev would be ready for the start of the season. That obviously very much in doubt from where we are. But you have Nils Oman, Dakota Joshua, and Nils Hoaglander as the guys fighting for the 11th, 12th, and 13th spot. Given everything that has happened with Pod Colson and Mikheyev still being injured, and that was a pretty predictable situation. I guess Jack Studnika would be the other one that's really stepped up and taken a spot on the opening night roster. He's one I expected to make it. Yeah. Again, you expected? Yeah. Again, we're talking about a fourth-line role. Yeah. Uh, the way, because he's one that they coveted to go bring in, think of cost of acquisition. Well, you probably want to get some ROI on that as well. So I'm not as surprised uh, that he made the roster. I'm encouraged that he lived up to the billing to be able to make it. I think he's earned his spot to say, hey, you want me on the fourth line? I'm going to play a certain way. And through preseason, uh, I know some people were texting last night. It's like, I didn't really notice Jack said, Nico, okay, last night, yeah, through the preseason, maybe you're feeling underwhelmed, but I, I think you've noticed the speed. You've noticed uh, him kind of evolving his game. Yeah. I think last year he comes in with, you know, still still hopes and dreams of still being that uh, playmaker, goal-producing type player. That he, He's got it in his jacket from his junior days. But I think the the initial steps to a transition of – how do you make that transition to stay in the league is happening right now for Jack Stanika. So I'm willing to give a bit of a runway here and say, yeah. hey, let's see what this looks like. But I, I fully expected him to make this lineup. Well, he brings a speed element that the, a lot of other players just don't on this on this roster, and that's um, putting it lightly. And because he's larger now, yep. he brings a size element that doesn't, that doesn't exist. Especially if Dakota Joshua isn't going to be on the opening night roster. They're going to be a light team. And that's... Maybe the other surprise here of camp, we came in expecting Dakota Joshua to be a part of, be a, not just a part, but like a fairly significant part of the bottom six, maybe take a step from where he was last year. And that could very well still happen, but he's clearly started behind the eight ball and fallen down the depth chart from where he was I would say at the start of camp or coming into at the end of last season and coming into this year. So that would be one of the other surprises of camp. The thing is, and I, I've heard it positioned that this is a bad thing, that this is sort of a sign that the Canucks still have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. But I just... I didn't expect guys like Atu Ratu to be ready to step up and take a spot this year. I, com you know, I still commend the team for starting to assemble some AHL talent that is seemingly ready to take a call up on at some point in the season, whether that's Arsteep Baines or further down the line and Aiden McDonough, you know, they've, 
assembled some guys that you can see some NHL traits in and a future in the National Hockey League, at least playing games. How much of a career, that's still up for debate. But one of the biggest downfalls of this organization in recent years, they weren't developing guys to fill bottom of the roster spots on the team. You know, they, they yeah, they developed Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko and, you know, some top end players. Sure. But every team, especially the ones that are juggling the salary cap needs to develop guys. that are going to play even small roles on the roster. That's like an elementary school saying like a gifted kid came through their ranks. Yeah. <laughs> he graduated early. It's like the, the, the kid was going to go through. It was going to happen. It's like, yeah, okay, he accelerated grade two to go to grade four. Yeah. But it was going to happen anyways. They they skipped a step. They didn't have to go through the AHL. Now, yeah. just in a year and a half's time, I, I was saying to Sat, like, there was no reality last year where we thought, hey, Guillaume Brisebois was going to play credible minutes, albeit at the back end of the season, but credible minutes in the NHL. Yeah. We, would, we wouldn't have thought that a year and a half ago. But some work put in, and suddenly he comes in. It's like, all right, there's something there. You know, Christian Willanen, when he's featured in, in some cameos, looks like there's something there, some growth. Now, this preseason hasn't really translated, but nevertheless, you could sit back and say, okay, some guys have taken steps because of what they've done in the AHL level. Archdeep Baines looks really good yep. for me. Like, that's progress for a player in his development process. Ratu yeah. took a significant step over the summer and how he's looked so far this year. For me, it's all just going to come down to skating for Ratu. Like, I, I think he can play right now. Yeah. But what's best for him is probably keep working at it. Don't be in the pressure-packed environment of the NHL just yet. Yeah. Down the road, maybe a year from now, just keep getting that muscle mass, keep getting the power, and the skating hopefully does get to just an even average level. Because I think right now it's below average, and he could play in the NHL, but would he be as effective as he can be down the line? It's going to have to be a uh, Bo Horvat level of development for Ratu. Mm -hmm. And, And I think he's starting maybe at a lower point than where Bo was early in his career. But, you know, every year you make incremental improvements to your stride, to your mechanics, to your speed, so that you can play a little bit better at the NHL pace. But there's a real NHL player in Atu Ratu. You know, I can't sit here and say, oh, because this guy didn't win a spot on the opening night roster that they are all of a sudden a bust. No, I mean, when you signed Aiden McDonough, when you signed Atu Ratu, when you signed Max Sasson, like all these guys were long-term projects and ifs, they're throws at the dartboard, if anything. And they've gotten closer, at least to my eye, to being somebody that can, pieces that can eventually have a chance to help the Vancouver Canucks down the line. So from that perspective, I would say it is a positive, but... Yeah, it's true. The roster is shaping up pretty much just as we mostly expected it to. The one surprise has continued to be Cole McWard. Mm-hmm. And last night, you know, I know we talked a little bit about it on the post game show, but seemed confident, seemed like he took another uh, step towards being on the opening night roster. But the question still looms. I- I'm not entirely convinced. Again, not that he's not qualified. Like I, I think he's done enough to show that hey, he can probably be on the opening night roster. But I was saying, I was saying, I don't last think night, there's an option that is going to be very convincing. But is it more beneficial to him to play 13 minutes or right. 22? 
right? Like, this isn't the go to the AHL and you're going to be the second pairing guy. I think he's done enough to be like, hey, we're really excited about you. Go to the, the AHL. Yeah. We're going to play you 22, 23 minutes a night, every single role. You and Akito Hirose are going to be the top pair down there. Work on everything, yeah. okay? Like, we are really excited about you. And if, like, if, if we have to play you 13 minutes in the NHL, okay, we can do that. But this is also about 2025, 2026 for you. Yeah. It's not about us having a good start. Is that, I wonder if that's the preferred option of the team, mm-hmm. but because they just don't have many other credible options yep. to take that spot on the roster right now, this is but, going but to would be you the rather, way that it is. Would you rather give Noah Juleson 11 minutes? I mean, he fared well enough towards the end of last year. Again, here's what's interesting. Again, um, no convincing options, though. That's the problem. That's the point, though. It's like yeah. when you don't have an option, do you force a... Uh, a tough one and say, Hey, we're going to shoehorn Cole McWard here. Even though last night to me, I thought he played his best game, but up until then I thought, you know, I haven't really seen it. Do I think he's played like the seventh best D man throughout the course of this preseason? Yeah. But you know, Juleson played in some tough environments yeah. preseason on the road. No Queen Hughes. Okay. McWard has played a couple of games with Quinn Hughes and then a home game. Against a, an inferior lineup. Yes. We haven't seen Juleson play in one of those moments. No. So that's why I just wonder. It's like, hey, is there a game still to come here where Juleson gets to play with Quinn Hughes? And what and what does he look like in that environment? Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the 6D man who might play with Quinn Hughes. Should It shouldn't be, be part of the evaluation that Noah Juleson gets a game with Quinn Hughes. And if that happens tomorrow, does that mean Cole McWard is going to get big minutes in the AHL? Yeah. It's um, or it, as Danny texts in, it's likely McWar is an option for twenty games until Ethan Bear is signed. Absolutely. Well, but, Ethan Bear is more like half the season. Yeah, though. but also it's closer to half. You the don't season. really need Cole McWar to fill a gap. Yeah. Noah Juleson could fill a gap. If you're going with the whole defense by committee thing, like the way I stream fantasy defenses throughout the year in fantasy football, then you should be able to paper over that crack uh, at least a little bit. And take the very hands-on approach. You're going to play Heronic and Myers 20-plus minutes a night and whatever's left over for Noah Juleson or whomever is going to play that third line, third pair, right shot, D-roll, then that's just going to be the case. I still wonder how the rest of this next week or so plays out as rosters continue to get trimmed down. You know, we know they passed on Cal Foot who was one of the options on waivers as of today. He went through for the New Jersey Devils. There was some yesterday, including Bernard Docker, former first rounder from a few years ago. There's going to be more. Like, it doesn't, like, you you look at the math and you look at some of the other teams. I mean, Nashville's one Mm -hmm. that's got a number of right shot defensemen that are at the very least, NHL bubble guys. So they're going to have to waive some of them. One of them scored twice in Vancouver last year in uh, Jordan Gross. So, you know, there is going to be options, and maybe that's something that they're waiting for. Maybe a more veteran right shot D that might get waived Mm -hmm. that can more credibly fill a role because, you know, if you add somebody like a Bernard Docker or whomever who you're like, yeah, okay, I can see some potential, but this is just another project that we're adding into our group. Sure, but they need what? those projects. Yeah. Like we'll, we'll take as many throws at the dartboard, but you maybe only have one right claim right now that you're, yeah, you fair really enough. want to make. 
That's fair. But right now, as far as developmental prospects, okay, it's Cole McWard, Philip Johansson. Um, well, you have those Willander, guys, and then Willander. Hunter uh, Bruce Davids. Yep. Bruce Davich. That's, again, that's four guys yep. for a very coveted role that they had to give up a first-round pick and a second-round pick to go get. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we know the cost of acquisition. I brought up the... Uh, I brought up the Bruins yesterday, or it was a couple days ago, when you know they waived Riley Walsh and they waived Alec Regula. Mm-hmm. They also still have Ian Mitchell on their roster. All three guys were acquired this summer. It's like Don Sweeney made it very clear. I'm just gonna like grab a com- a bunch of young twenty something right shot defensemen and hope one of them is good enough to play on our roster. And that's, you know, the Canucks have done it to an extent with, you know, McWard and, and yeah. Johansson, but you're still maybe looking for more as time goes on. It's, it's either you believe in your process as yep. a developmental group or you don't. Yeah. And I, I'm a bit surprised that we saw the, the names that you went talk about fall by the wayside of, of just they, they weren't claimed. There's going to be more. Uh, and I wonder if the Canucks are active on the waiver wire or in the trade market as time goes on. Is this what's keeping Tockett up at night, though? Like how <laughs> the defense is currently shaping up? You know what keeping uh, Rick Tockett up at night? Construction in Vancouver. <laughs> All day. The drive home from Abbotsford. Yes. Everywhere in the lower mainland. 7 a.m. I, I got woken up by construction. Is this your thing now? Just like mad about construction? No, it's fine. I live like near Cambian Broadway. And anywhere on Broadway right now is just an absolute nightmare. <laughs> It's going to be a great city once they start uh, uh, stop building it. Yes. <laughs> when uh, when that new train line is is in, <laughs> it's going to be great. But what's, what's actually keeping Rick talking up at night? Yeah. It's... So one thing, the obvious one is the defense by committee thing. Mm-hmm. But I still think they are fairly comfortable with it. Yeah, I, I don't think that's... I think it's different, but I think it's manageable. I think scoring keeps him up at night. Like scoring enough. You hear the the comment of last night and guys not getting in the net, bearing down and these types of things. Um, I I think, you know, is this team going to score enough is something that might be a little bit worrisome for the coaching staff. But if you design a philosophy, you can't then be mad at it and and say, I really need the goals, even though we're trying to highlight defense. The thing that I think keeps Rick Tockett up at night... still win games, though, at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I think the thing that keeps Rick Tockett up at night is... like We're talking about a true like foxhole-type player. Mm-hmm. Okay? Rick Tockett was willing to do anything for his teammates. Yeah. If Rick Tockett felt like, hey, when I lace up these skates, if I was still playing, could I trust 17 of these guys? To do the same? Yeah. I think that's what keeps Rick to Tockett up To go to war with me? Yeah, just... Be someone that's going to be in the battle constantly. And I, as far as trust goes, right, if that's what's really important to you, because he keeps harping on, make those plays along the wall. Yeah. Right? That's a huge fundamental ethos to Rick Tockett. Yeah. How many of these guys do you think consistently he's like, hey, I rely on this guy to go do it? JT. (laughs) JT, PDG. Yeah. Pedersen, Mikheyev. It, it is Bluger, so suitor. It is so incredibly obvious why he keeps mentioning Phil DiGiuseppe. 
like, like any chance he possibly get. And I, and I don't like. I know everybody like makes fun of me for the the Phil DiGiuseppe stuff, but like Rick Tockett does it too. Yes, he does it more than I do. You're you're playing for you're in silver, pal. <laughs> he the guy it. who controls his minutes is in gold. Exactly right, but he does it because it's like here's a guy who works for everything that he's getting right now, and he just he wants to see that for more players on this roster. That's, are, that's his lone. That, you're right. That that is one of his concerns. It's like I have guys more talented than this guy, but this guy just does the things that I want him to. I know every single night. I mean, I know what I'm going to get. Yeah, like PDG's bad games are like a five out of ten. Yeah, his bad games are a five out of ten. Mm-hmm. He might be a dash one. But his good game, like his regular game, is just 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10 every single night. Yeah. Coaches love that. <laughs> I understand. Like, well, he doesn't put up 25 goals. He's going to play a top six role. He's got to do that. A coach can devise a game plan yeah. around consistency anywhere on the lineup. Yeah. And he says, hey, I know if I put Miller there, we're going to get the puck to JT Miller in the offensive zone because Phil DiGiuseppe is there. And that, to me... Is a tactical win. Yeah. We'll let JT Miller have success on the power play as well, but how do I create opportunities for JT Miller in the offensive zone in five on five? It's PDG. And yeah, does it lower the ceiling of what the line can be? But at least we're, we're, we're getting the puck to JT Miller. That line, look, it performed well enough last year. Small sample, of course, but um, it, it showed that it could take on other teams' top lines. Mm-hmm. And at least hold its own. And that's what they're banking on this year. JT Miller even mentioned that in his latest piece with Ian McIntyre. So that's, you're right. That might be the thing that keeps Rick Tockett up at night. Because I don't think he wants to go like full Luke Donald with Team Europe at the Ryder Cup. And have to like show hype videos before yeah. every round and be like, watch this Seve Ballesteros from 1982. Like you guys... We need this. John Rom's crying in the background because he's all emotional about it. Like I, I don't know if Rick Tockett wants to do that or has to do that. That's for... that's way too much micromanagement. <laughs> like you have to be able to just rely on the players yes. to do their job. It's a Ryder Cup. It's one weekend. You can't do that over 82 games. Look, you can't control the results. You can impact it as much as you think you can. Yes. But you can control your effort. And a coach's job is to, a certain level of trust to say, hey, I shouldn't have to manage this for 82 games. I have a job to do to put you in position to succeed. Yeah. It's your job to try to maximize your ability in the contract of what I'm trying to compete with against relative to your opponents. But your job is to maximize your ability the best you can. Yeah. How many players do you think he honestly, truly trusts? Right now? I like. I would say Cole, Hughes, Hronik. Yeah. Ederson, Mikheyev, Miller, PDG, yeah, Bluger, Suter. I think Kuzmenko as well. To compete? Yeah. He's the first guy he's willing to take off for one spin. <laughs> but that's just because he doesn't like his style of play. That's a bit of a problem. <laughs> he, doesn't lo- he doesn't love his decision. I, I'm sure. Yeah. Decision making to, to create. But decision making. He's never questioned Kuzmenko's like effort or will to learn the things that Tockett is trying to preach. So maybe that's sort of semantics I'm getting at with you on the Kuzmenko one. Uh, Raymond says Bick is talking like about PDG like he's Yuri Lettinen. 
Jerry Ledden was awesome. Three Selkies. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't know if people remember how good Yuri Lettinen was as a defensive winger. But he was like... You know, <laughs> well, I know how was the finish flash. Yeah. Yuri Lettinen was like the Finnish defense minister. You know, I always joke, like, I'm pro-defense. Yeah. I, I, I drafted Yuri Lettinen in so many hockey pools back in the day. <laughs> Just like, man, this guy's an awesome player. He's a better real-life player than fantasy yeah, player, Yeah, 100%. Maybe. It was a terrible idea to draft him. <laughs> Raymond also says this is a very depressing topic. Well... It's the Canucks. <laughs> you can't always text in and be like, this team, I don't know, guys. And then when we talk about the team, we're like, this is really depressing. Um, Tyler, defense by committee might as well start looking at doing hybrid four forwards and one D on the ice for five on five. I mean, Tyler, I'm here for it a little bit, but probably not going to happen unless, you know. You're down a couple of goals or something like that in the third period. All right, Dan Riccio and Bick Nazar. Ian McIntyre is going to join us as his latest at sportsset.ca focuses on JT Miller and the Canucks Star Center's continued development and continued work on himself. That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Stan Richo and Bik Nazar, Satyar Shaw, day off today. As a uh, little under the weather. Hopefully, uh, speedy recovery. Sat will be back uh, tomorrow for the final preseason game with the Canucks taking on the Calgary Flames at Rogers Arena, the final dress rehearsal. So we'll be reading into basically every decision Rick Tockett and the coaching staff makes for tomorrow night's roster. Here for it. Dakota Joshua, the healthy scratch, probably. Noah Juleson ahead of Cole McWard. Potentially. (laughs) It'd be funny after all this time, like Noah Juleson just ends up back on the opening night roster. He played one preseason game, and he wasn't very good. Uh, So that would not be ideal. But that is to come tomorrow for the Vancouver Canucks. Do have a little bit of um, breaking news Mm -hmm. from the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, They just released this note. Canucks legend Stan Smeal to transition from hockey operations after 45 years, longest-serving player-employee to remain as a club and community ambassador. So after 45 years as a player, coach, senior manager, and leader, and interim GM uh, in the wake of the firing of Jim Benning, Stan Smeal is uh, moving away from hockey operations and into more of an ambassador role. The heart and soul of the Canucks. Since 1978. Yeah, it's unreal. Uh, certainly, um, 
fantastic player. Uh, a lot of people before my time will remember his uh, efforts all, all throughout his career. Um, captain for eight years and yeah. embodied a, a lot of the principles I think people want to see. And even in his other roles, we, we saw 20 months ago, 22 months ago, uh, the passion that Stan Smeal exhibits for this franchise and for this community. And we, what he wanted to do was a re- reclaiming of some glory. And, you know, we've talked about other players that have come through the years. You know, the, there's the Sedin example, so many other players. But for a lot of people, like the, the, the person who started the, the mark for it is, is Stan Smeal. It's... Um... You know, it's indicative of his spot in the rafters, mm-hmm. right? The number 12 uh, as a retired number, one of the six for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, he, he just embodies everything that it has been or has meant to be a Vancouver Canuck, and that's Stan Smeal. So uh, shouts to Stan, who is uh, moving into more of an ambassador role and away from hockey operations. We were just talking about, you know, players putting in the effort. Yeah. Right. A lot of that just comes down to a simpler way to say it is, hey, what kind of heart do you have? In this market, it's it's, it's a short list of people that are talking about like, hey, nobody play with more heart. Well, I, I'm not even sure if there is a, a list behind Stan Smeal. And the way that his heart still showed after mm-hmm. he was playing, right? I mean, nobody, no diehard Canucks fan is going to forget the speech that Stan Smeal made when the Canucks were going through their managerial and their front office transition. You know, he gets put in as interim GM, not for a long time before Jim Rutherford comes in as the president of Hockey Ops and essentially says everything that was on many Canucks fans' minds, says it eloquently, not in any way disrespectful, Mm -mm. but mostly like this and something has to change because it's not good enough. And it really spoke to a large segment of the fan base. It was something I know our listeners certainly appreciated hearing from somebody within the organization. And at that time, you know, it, it had seemed as though Stan's uh, position within the club was diminished a little bit. And then he gets put into this interim GM role as they are transitioning to a new front office and starting to pick up the pieces from where they were. Cause you know, as bad as the start was to last year, Things got pretty dark there at the end of the Jim Benning and Travis Green era, if we do remember. And uh, Stan Smeal was there to to get things kicked back into a better direction for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, a lot of texts coming in on our uh, segment from earlier and talking about the Vancouver Canucks and talking about Cole McWard and putting him in a big spot and how good is that for the player. Peter, what's the point of a veteran just filling a role Use the hole to develop your rookies. Nothing like learning to swim when being thrown into the sea. I'm not sure if Peter's being serious. I, I think he means Cole McWard. Or a, sarcastic. It, it, it's just a question of... Could be anything. Could be yeah. know, even Vasily Podkolzin. Like, are, are, are you getting the upside? Like, chase the upside. Right. The thing is, like, this, this group, mm-hmm. one of their hallmarks is... And we are patient with guys. And if if they trust us, we will make them a different player. And you will see the effectiveness of that down the road. What, it, what uh, 
a lot of Penguins fans have said, hey, Jake Ensel is clearly a goal scorer. Why didn't we get him up a year earlier? Yeah. But their their job here and their mantra is we marinate guys. Mm-hmm. And when it's ready, we don't see him again in the AHL. We're not going to push guys through. Yeah. We're going to make sure that they are equipped to handle the rigors and the stresses of the NHL. It's not just about, hey, you're qualified on game one. Mm-hmm. It's we want you to be qualified for a 300, 400, 500 game career. Well, you talk to people in the organization about Nils Hoaglander as an example. And what's one thing Yannick Hansen had said to us quite a bit when we talked about Hoaglander? He should be in the minors. He skipped a step in his development, mm-hmm. right? They rushed him too quickly, and it worked for a bit, but... You could see it in his game. Like there's just processing moments, decision making that isn't at an NHL level. And you talk to people on the record or off the record about Hoaglander and his development at the end of last year in the AHL. And they really and truly do believe that it's going to make a difference in his game this year. Now, I I personally still have my doubts, but they are a lot more confident in the future of Nils Hoaglander after that than they were where his game was last December, just as a, a reference point. So is it going to be something similar with Vasily Podkolzin? That's the hope, right? I don't think Podkolzin is anywhere near an NHL call-up right now. He's basically on the same footing as a as an Aiden McDonough or even a, a Linus Carlson in in the AHL. Now, obviously, he's got more of a priority from the organization on his development because of him being a 10th overall pick and the ultimate upside of mm-hmm. that player. But my point is, pods can have a really good couple of weeks and it shouldn't change his status as like, you're just not the next call-up. We need you to do this for a couple of months. We need you to figure this out for three, four months before we consider bringing you back up to the NHL level. Let's say Nils Oman gets sent down, okay? Yeah. What do you think the the order is of the guys that get, get the first forward call-up? Now, obviously it depends like which guy gets hurt and all that sort of stuff. But between Oman, Ratu, Dries, Baines, McDonough, put Coles in. Like where does put Coles in rank of that group? Like I, I again, I just listed what was that six yeah. guys, seven guys. I think Oman would probably be the first call up. Mm-hmm. Um, Dries might be second. Dries might be second. And depending what they lose, maybe Dries would be first. Yeah. Um, if they you know need a little bit of goal scoring or feel like they need a little bit of goal scoring, Suter can jump up and yeah. Dries can play the fourth line role. Um. I think Baines is pretty high on the list. Uh, personally, I just, I think Ratu and Pod Colson, it's more the long game. Yep. They want to let them play a ton in the AHL and grow. And I think that consistency is probably good for both players considering uh, the topsy-turvy nature of their development the last 12 months. Uh, this text, 650-650, you guys and the Canucks need to admit that put Colson, he's a bust. Did nothing in Russia. He's doing nothing for us now. We need to get rid of this guy. And and there's certainly part of the conversation. For, yeah. for instance, like I was sitting here last year thinking, like, Nils Hoaglander, this might be the opportunity. Like, why wait another year? 
considering how stacked the roster is. Uh, by stacked, I mean uh, number of bodies rather than uh, quality. It was just going to be hard for Nils Hogan to leapfrog a bunch of players. And sure enough, we sat here a year later, and now we're like, oh, he made the roster, but it's in a third, fourth line role. We're not really sure. Did, yeah. did, did he win a roster spot or win his spot in the lineup? It so w- it, it's fair to wonder, like, hey, is this the opportunity to move a Nils or uh, a Vasily Podkolzin? But, but let's not forget, like, I understand the production in Russia wasn't there. He did put up 26 points in his rookie year. Yeah. Okay. Like, and, and it was a plus seven. He scored 13 goals. I mean, that, the end of that season, it was like, wow, Pod Colson's really figured it out. The end of his rookie season, after Boudreau took over and he he started playing on a line with uh, with JT Miller, and mm-hmm. it was just like, it was working. And you saw the shot, and you saw the two-way ability. You started to see some things really clicking for him. His decisions were on point. And that's what's so strange about Pod Colson the last two years. His reads on the ice, his decision-making defensively, has not been great. And it's really the telltale sign of a player that's more in their head than they should be right now. Um, So keep those texts coming in. I did want to touch on the Barrios thing. Now, I know we're Canuck Central, Bic. Mm -hmm. So talking Blue Jays is definitely not something everybody wants to necessarily hear. But... I was pulling my hair out at that decision yesterday. And not just because I'm a Jays fan and I didn't want to see that happen. And I was, you know, I, I felt pretty confident in Jose Barrios in that moment. None of that. It was like, this is why I've turned away from baseball. This is the kind of thing. This is the analytics decision that I hate about sports now where there's no context of what's happening in the game. It's just this was the decision we made pregame, and that's what we are going with no matter what. They're like Kevin Costner going into draft day. <laughs> Vontae Mack, no matter what. 47 pitches, no matter what. <laughs> it's like one time through, no matter what. And the thing I love about hockey I don't think there is a real comparable to what we saw yesterday in the Blue Jays game. There isn't one. There's no hockey comparable. Not the direct decision. No. But I think putting a goalie in for a shootout, great. If your backup has great shootout statistics, who am I to say don't do that? That's fine. It's the shootout. But... It's not like putting Tim Krul in uh, during a, a Tim World Krul Cup reference caches today. <laughs> during a World Cup knockout game, it's a shootout in the 82 game NHL regular season where you've already collected a point. It's not the biggest deal if you're going to put your backup goalie in cold for the shootout. I wouldn't get that upset about it. This this is like a game changing type of decision. There's no direct comparable like a cross sport. Uh, comparable here, but but the thing I didn't like about it, like e- even outside of the decision, I, I know you're worked up about ha- how the approach is done. Yes, the after effects of it all though is like even if you think that this is the right decision to make, this is the part where like I, I struggle at times with taking the process of the decision and the actual application of the decision right. is you still have to remember that there's a human element to all this, 
And what do 10 other players that you need, or eight other players that you need to go compete, think about this as well? Right. To say, look, and like, hey, this guy's on it. Mm-hmm. It'd be one thing if it was a so-so performance, not even a bad performance, a so-so performance, and saying, hey, you know what? This is probably the right move. We don't know what's going to happen. He was on it yesterday. Yeah. And that's the part where you kind of have to step away from the predetermined element of it and don't just run the simulation and say, hey, you know what? Of all the 10,000 simulations we ran, there was 20% of them that this guy was on it. And so we have to let, let him go to the fifth inning, sixth inning. And play this out. 47 pitches. It's nothing. And if you're one of those players, the underlying element that I think does translate to sports is he walked one guy, he made one mistake, and he was pulled. What does that say about me? Yeah, I've got to go win a must-win game right now, and now I'm playing in fear. That it's not about me going out to make a play. I can't make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Which is the worst feeling to have as a player. And... Think about what happened later on. Vlad Guerrero on the base paths. Yeah. Does it break your concentration? In in these must-win games, playoff games, what's required? Obviously effort, but 100% focus for 100% of the time. Yeah. Well, we've seen that with Vasily Podkolzin, where he's had coaches basically go to him and be like, you make a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't say that blatantly, but he could see it in his ice time, whether it was in Russia or... I, I think more NHL, in Russia than we see definitely here. more in Russia than it was in the NHL, where it's like you make one mistake, you're you're done, you're not yeah. playing, and that's that's you're no going way, down to the MHL. That's no way to coach a player. Yeah, that's no way to develop a player. There's no way to earn trust with a player to get them to maximize their abilities because they play hesitant. Then and I mean, Look, any top level of sports, you can't play with any sort of hesitancy, and you get picked off at second. Yeah, season over. That's just a tough reality to live in. And I do think right now here in Vancouver, I think there is an example of that. Of if one guy screws up, the rug gets pulled out from underneath him. Mm -hmm. And I think it's Andre Kuzmenko. It's it's when we see those spins, and you you, like even preseason we saw it right in Rick Tockett. You know, not demonstrably, but like motioning at Andre Kuzmenko in preseason. If that happens, yeah, you got to get that puck out. Like that's not the spot to go. Play Andre Kuzmenko hockey. Inside our zone, you got to play Vancouver Canucks hockey. Yeah. In the other zone, and you got to go create, we need Andre Kuzmenko to show up to score some goals, put up 40. But in our zone, you got to play our way. And if that happens in the regular season, which, by the way, it's going to happen, yeah. it's human nature that Andre Kuzmenko is going to do it once. What's the reaction there? Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting with the Kuzmenko example. Last year, we would see it. And, hey, you're in a one-goal game, and you sat. Andre Kuzmenko for the final 10 minutes. <laughs> um, not a great look if you are in the meat of a playoff spot. Towards the end of last year, everything was about teaching, was about setting his culture for Rick Tockett. Is that going to change this year? I think is an apt point. I would focus also on this as something that's instructive for pro sports in general. After the game, Whit Merrifield on the decision to take out Jose Barrios. I hated it, frankly. It's not what costs us the game, but it's the kind of baseball decisions that are taking away from managers and baseball at this stage of the game. He's not calling out John Schneider. He's calling out the front office. Whit Merrifield is up as a free agent this year. And sure, if the Blue Jays put down the money, maybe he resigns. But he was a huge asset to the Jays all season long, is he now second-guessing 
whether or not he wants to be with this organization because of the way they process their decisions in game. And you see this with the Vancouver Canucks to a certain extent. Players, you can feel this a lot more than we did at any point of the Jim Benning era. Where if the Canucks wanted to convince a player to play for the Vancouver Canucks in free agency or otherwise, it had to be you're tacking on an extra million bucks, you're tacking on an extra year of term. Hello, Jay Beagle. How does Jay Beagle get four years? Well, because they're the only team willing to give Jay Beagle four years. This offseason, you see players like Ian Cole. You know what? I'll take a one-year deal. I believe in this organization's Mm -hmm. philosophy. I believe in Rick Tockett. I know him as a coach. I'm down with that. And we've seen that really since, not to a huge extent, but there's little examples of players choosing Vancouver. Teddy Bluger's another one. Choosing Vancouver because of his relationship with the Pittsburgh guys and saying, those are guys I believe in. Those are guys I, I know I can succeed with. And so I want to be a part of that organization. They have a get they have an idea of what the process and what the organizational philosophy is, and they can see themselves fitting into that. And that's something I think that's very important when you go about building a competitive team. Players have to fit into what you are building as an identity and as an ethos of your organization. It's it's buy-in. Right? Yeah. It's just buy-in. And like I've said this before, I'll take an imperfect plan with 100% buy-in rather than a perfect plan with no buy-in. And yesterday, that's that's an example. Like, even if you thought, it's like, hey, this makes sense. We're taking this guy out. Mm-hmm. Second time through the order. A couple of lefties coming up. We, we have to take him out. This is the plan. Even if it worked. Yeah. Does, is everyone bought in? Is everyone going to execute for five more innings? Mm-hmm. You can have a plan of, of power play, whatever it is. It could be the, hey, this is your strength. You got this one timer. This guy moves around. How this guy sees the ice. If if you can't convince the players, your plan sucks. Yeah. Your, your plan has to include the human element. Yeah. And this is, I think, the last step. Because I, I know there's the phrase of like, oh, analytics is ruining sports. It's not. It's evolved sports. And it's a necessary evolution. But the last step is going to be, can you convince people that the plan works? Yeah. And you have to integrate the human element in any decision-making. Well, the application has to be right. Yeah. And in-game context has to... You have to be able to mold your decision-making with the in-game context, right? You've got a new set of data points once you've played those first three innings. You should take that into account Mm -hmm. as part of your future decision making. And like, don't tell me we don't have the technology for this. You know, when an NFL team, you know, says, uh, what do they they plan their first 10 or 15 offensive plays Mm -hmm. the night before, whatever it might be. They know what they're going into it. But you start to get a new set of data points. Are you going to stick with that plan or are you going Mm -hmm. to start saying, you know what? I think these plays might work better. Now the, or or fourth down decision making. Fourth down decision. Like making. that's the big one right now. Yeah. You want to talk about data influencing decisions? That's the one that's scrutinized every Monday morning. Well, Brandon Staley just doesn't care. He's just like I'm going for it on fourth down no matter what. But again, some of the decisions. Again, again, this is the thing. Like the decision makes sense. The application of how to 
successfully complete the decision doesn't yes. for them. Right. And for a lot of teams. And that's, if we're going to make any kind of comparable, I think that's the way that it has to be. Because hockey, there isn't... It's too fast, too random, too flowing. There's no real similar decision mm-hmm. you could make. You know, you're not taking Elias Pettersson off your top power play unit <laughs> or doing something drastic like that in game. Um, it just It just doesn't make any sense. But... I think from an organizational philosophy, the decisions that you make, that's something that your players have to be on board with and understand your process of decision-making, no matter what team you're building. It's Dan Richo and Bick Nazar. You are listening to Canuck Central.